Well, hello again. We have Amanda. If you are familiar with my podcast, Amanda was here not so long ago, and I'm quite excited to get her back on a completely different topic today. Um, so if, for those who don't know Amanda, she's also a fellow financial advisor, but she's an aged care specialist. And um, something I wanted to point out to listeners and anyone who's interested in, in what we're trying to achieve with sensibility is that financial planning is quite um, quite a, a broad type of practice. So, so many of us actually specialise in certain um, types of advice. And today we're going to speak to Amanda about aged care. Uh, I um, don't get many cases of aged care because that's not my specialty and I often refer people on to people like Amanda. So today I'm taking off my financial advisor hat. I'm going to ask a lot of frequently asked questions that um, people may have. And if you are, do actually have questions that we haven't answered today, you know, don't hesitate to reach out to us because we'll be able to um, assist um, and get some answers to you. And I'm sure if there's more interest on this, you know, there are a few um, webinars that I'm going to be doing with other advisors. We could do something like that as well in the future. So thank you so much for coming on again today, Amanda. Thank you for having me back. Appreciate it. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, so first of all, there is so much, there's quite a complex uh, type of advice with aged care and it's such a tough time for families. Just before we went on air, you were talking about how you've got, you know, it's usually young, the, the eldest daughter or so of a family that get involved. Do you find they're the ones reaching out or who, who reaches out to get the aged care advice usually initially? Yeah, it's often the children and it can be brought on in an emergency. Suddenly mum's had a fall and broken a hip or dad's ended up in hospital and all of a sudden the hospital has said, look, he can't go home or she can't go home. You know, Unless there's a person there to care for them, they're no longer able to care for themselves. You need to find a placement and then it becomes an emergency. How do we get dad into a place? What do we do? Where do we go? And so you're making decisions at a ridiculously emotional and stressful time so that's the majority you know the first time people actually think about aged care because up to that moment mum or dad may have been fiercely independent and you know denied all requests even if you notice that cognitively you know they might not be remembering so well but they're still coping until that one incident other times um, the family you know, mum and dad's been frail for a while. They might just come at the start to go, look, we've noticed at Christmas mum or dad, you know, isn't as well as they were. They're not coping as well. We just want to find out. So better to be um, prepared to go into those situations than wait for the, you know, catastrophe to occur and then everybody's scrambling to, to figure out what happens. And like you said, it is a super complex area, up to four levels of daily fees, and then all the questions come in. Do we have to sell the house? What if mum's in the house? How do we fund the deposit? Can we pay it off? What you know? So there's all these questions that are bubbling. And mm. you know, obviously the financial side of aged care is the biggest concern, let alone finding a place for them that fits or is in their area. Um, but yeah. how do we fund it is usually the first question. Right. Yeah, well, first of all, like one thing you just sort of said is, if you can get in early, if you've gone there, so seeing mum and dad at Christmas time or a birthday or a family event where you're or just starting to notice some signals that their independence is starting to diminish, diminish in some respect, what are the steps you should be taking at that point? 
I suppose start seeing mum and dad out first. Um, and look, most of them are going to be a stubborn ass about it. Like all of us, we want to be as independent as we can for as long as we can. That's just, you know, human nature. It's the old, I don't want to be trundled off or dumped in a nursing home like nobody loves me. So respecting that, others realise, look, I can't cope anymore. And having the conversation, look, would you like someone to come and help you at home? Do we need to organise that, you know, whether meals on wheels or a home care package would be appropriate for them before we go, right, that's it, aged care facility for you. So opening that conversation and asking what they want is really important. And look, maybe even before that, have a little family chat, grab the siblings all together and say, look, is it just me? Was mum a bit wobbly? You know, is dad losing it? You know, what should we do as a family? And have those discussions because... You can also get families' backs up where, you know, one of them goes in and goes, right, that's it, mum, we're selling up the house and putting you in care. And the others are going, well, actually, I'm in a position I could have moved in with mum and helped take care of her for a while longer. So making it a family decision is really important. And I also know, depending on your family dynamic, that's not always possible. But, yeah, if, if possible, including all, all siblings and all those involved is really important. And there's so many questions just in that little bit of information you've given me that I want to ask. The, the question about do you have to sell the house uh, or if someone's moved in, um, you know, there, there are, are there rules that if I would, there was someone occupying the house, can you sort of just talking about something like a property, because it's usually the big stuff first where people start to go into panic mode, um, you know, what are the things that people should know or some of the facts over some of those um uh, I guess there, there are a lot of misconceptions around, um, oh, we have to sell the property, we have to do this, we do, you know, it's going to, we can't afford it, those kind of things that people go straight into panic mode when it comes to money or massive or, or the family assets. Yeah, look, I had one person call me this week and they're going, look, we want to avoid everything for selling the house because, you know, that's, that's the family asset and we want that to be split. And I said, is it the home you're wanting or... Is it the money? And it came down to, look, that's the legacy. We want the money. And I said, well, you do understand that if you sell the home and the money goes to the RAD, we're getting into jargon already, yeah. but the RAD is completely refundable and you will get the money back anyway. And she went, what? <laughs> so it's just understanding those things because they thought, oh, if we sell the house, we've got no inheritance and that's what mum and dad wanted. They wanted the house for us. For the kids. Yeah. For the kids. So she was surprised that, you know, if you sold the house, say for six, seven hundred thousand, your rad may only be four or five hundred. Whatever you put in is a refundable deposit. So um for an aged care facility that is, you have to be more careful when you're entering retirement villages. There can be clauses in those. And I think we've seen the dreadful reports of people who got caught out. There was an Aveo scandal some years ago that went on to I think it was um Four Corners did a big expose and it can be up to 35% of the value that they take when it's time to sell out. So understanding the difference between buying into a retirement village versus an aged care facility is important. The other one you brought up was about, you know, if somebody is still in the home. So if there's a spouse that has to live there or someone had moved in as a carer and been there for a couple of years, they're usually what's called a protected person. And, of course, they're allowed to stay in the house. No one's going to be kicking them out. So the other thing to understand is that Centrelink has their own rules and the aged care facility have their own rules. 
So that's why it's really important to get the specialist advice to say which category do we fall into, um, once they leave, how long can I stay there, will my carer's payments continue, all those sorts of questions are really important to cover. Yeah, that's, I mean, the fact is there's a lot to navigate when looking into the aged care um, system. Now, you've covered already one of those acronyms. Can you explain what that means? Yeah, the DAP is probably, uh, sorry, the RAD, I think right. the first one I mentioned, the RAD. Yeah, is RAD, you haven't gone to DAP yet. <laughs> <laughs> the Refundable Accommodation Deposit. So it says in the title, refundable. So the accommodation deposit, depending on where you are in Australia, can vary between $200,000 and up to nine hundred dollars or a mil, depending on the sort of facility you're going into, where it is, what sort of services you want, all that sort of stuff. So the average in Australia is around 400000 and that's what it will cost to have a, to buy a room in an aged care facility. So that's, that's the RAD. And, yes, in most cases, you will get that back. Mm -hmm. And when you say most cases, you're talking, again, the differences between an aged care facility and, a, say, retirement well, it's it's not called a RAD in a retirement village. The times you wouldn't get a RAD back is if you're taking your DAP from your RAD. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's where we're going next. Don't worry, I haven't forgotten that question. <laughs> so you can elect. So a daily accommodation, a pay, payment is your DAP. And if you don't have the cash flow, you can elect that whatever money you put in. So say you put the $400,000 in for your RAD, you do not want to fund the $50, $60 a day from your cash flow or your pension, you can elect that that will come out of the refundable accommodation deposit. So obviously that will reduce the amount that you get back. Yeah. So this is the next um, sort of acronym we're talking about, so the cost of living. And does that vary like the cost of your deposit from one facility to another? Or is there kind of an industry sort of set amount? There is an absolute standard that every single person has to pay regardless. Uh, at the moment, it's around the $51 mark per day, and it's basically worked out on what is 85% of the full Centrelink payment per fortnight. Right. So yeah. that's that's the standard. Whether you get the full Centrelink payment or not, the daily fee is that amount, which which varies every six months, but at the moment it's around $51 per day. Okay. So, again, it's, reg it's important that you're getting regular advice in regards to managing the cash flow, um, be it if you're receiving um, Centrelink pension or an income stream from, say, an account-based pension that would be covering your daily cost? Well, there's actually four levels of daily fees that you okay. need to fund. So that's just one of them. Mm -hmm. um, after that, you can apply to Centrelink or your advisor and work out what will your means-tested fee be. So based on the amount of assets you own, uh, not counting family home usually, for Centrelink, they will then provide what your means-tested fee is. If you can't afford to pay all or part of your RAD, which is, again, the big one, the 400000 to buy in, um, they then work out a daily fee that you would pay instead. And there's a mandated um, level of interest rate that is prescribed that they will then work out. So say you've got a $400,000 RAD, you only can afford to put 200000 in, you will have to pay a daily interest rate on the $200,000 that you could not pay. Mm -hmm. So that's another fee. 
The fourth fee will depend on whether you choose a facility that has extra services or not. Now, extra services don't mean you get, you know, premium bandages or, you know, novelty band-aids or anything like that. It's, I'd like a nicer cut of meat at dinner. I'd like a glass of wine with my meal. I um, would like to have Loxetan products in my bathroom. I want Foxtel. So it's extra services. And look, these can vary between $20 a day, right up to $45, $65, $85, depending on the facility. So look, if you're happy for your kids to bring in some toiletries and a bottle of wine, that might be fine for you and probably a lot cheaper than, you know, $30 a day. Um, but that can be added on top of the other fees as well. Right. Okay. Um, then there's also the, the question of cost of health, extra healthcare costs and medication and, and things like that. Um, can you, because there's a lot of confusion around, I've heard lots of different things about that as well when it comes to aged care and once you're inside an aged care facility. Yeah, look, you're still under the care of your normal doctor usually and your prescriptions, if, if you're on a pension, you've probably got the PBS, the pharmaceutical benefits, um, and you still, you know, need to take them. Usually the aged care facility will administer the products that you need, um, but they need to be given to the facility in most cases with the prescription so they know what to dish out to you. They don't usually um, just, you know, dish out whatever they have on hand. There's, there's standard cases in nursing facilities, you know, it's nursing staff in a lot of them, which are required, um, and they're the ones who will be, you know, being able to assist with medications and, and that. And look, home care packages, you may not have someone who's able to do that. A home care package might be something where we can take you to appointments, we'll assist you with the shopping. And in some cases, you can't get wound care or, you know, you might have an ulcer and need someone to change your dressings. And depending on your level of package, that may or may not be available to you. So it's important to work out what you need. And in every state, it's called an ACAT assessment, A-C-A-T. Victoria is slightly different, an ACAS, A-C-A-S. And they will rate you between a level one and a level four based on your needs. So there's a separate person that will come out and assess you. Look, if there's someone who's a carer, they should probably be there for that assessment, especially if you've got a, a stubborn mum or dad who's denying that there's anything wrong. <laughs> um, so, I'm sure you come across. Yeah, you do, you do. And look, like I said, it's an emotional time and, and nobody wants to feel like they're being, you know, thrown out with the bathwater. So it is difficult. And they do try and assess, you know, in a, in a fair manner what levels of daily activities you can still do. Mm, I've just um, come across a case with the um, home care package um, that I'm sort of working out at the moment. Um, but And we could probably, as you mentioned, we probably talk, that could be another episode altogether because... Well, it, it's a specialist area, yeah. It is a specialist area. Um, and in normal cases, again, if it, it wasn't existing, I would refer on to someone else. Um, so let's go back to some of your experience with the aged care. First of all, I'm curious to know, what got you to be an aged care specialist? Well, funnily, it's, it usually comes down to family. So I've got quite a lot of longevity in my family and my great-grandmother only passed away about six years ago. So we had five generations in my family. So my teenage children knew their great-great-grandmother for most of them. <laughs> yeah, it's insane. Yeah, so they started really early. <laughs> um, and she was about the age of my grandmother on my father's side. And, of course, about the same time, they both 
um, got dementia and needed to be put into care. And I had relatives ringing me going, Amanda, how do we get the deposit back? And what should we know about it? And I was just sitting there going, I don't know. I've not done this before. It's, it's not an area I've ever looked at. And I, I felt really, you know, that I was letting the team down, that I, I couldn't help in this area. And again, well, you're the specialist. So I actually took myself off and did the aged care steps, aged care accreditation course, which was two days. And I, I think by the end of that, my mind was completely blown at what a complex area it was. And I walked away going, I don't know how mum and dad navigate this. I'll probably have to do this course again to get my head around it. It was so complicated. So it was my feeling like I'd let my family down, I suppose, that got me started. And on top of that, I'm based on the Gold Coast, which we you know, lovingly refer to as God's waiting room. Um, it's, you know, the Florida of Australia. <laughs> so it was just one of those things that everything came together and I went, I've no idea why I've never thought of, you know, branching out into this before. I'm in the right space, the, the right time. And yeah, so it became important to me. So 2016, I went off and did the course and I started a subsidiary business that deals completely with, with the aged care. Mm. And I also have a, another specialist in my office to help me out. So Right. Yeah, because it, it is such a needed, I mean, we're going, we, you know, statistics show us we're an ageing population. The baby boomers are, you know, have made most of our population also hold most of our wealth. Um, so they need a lot of navigating as they get older and need that extra care. Um, you know, I sort of, I know that if something happened to my parents, it would fall on me. Um, so, you know, you'd be, I'd be going, hey, <laughs> at least you know people <laughs> that's right and look i'm i'm happy to say as an advisor i remember going and doing you know we, we've got to continue studying um and uh i've made the decision when i did, just sort of skipped over the topic because really you do uh, until you go and do some extra study like you, you have yourself you just kind of it's mind-boggling how much information you do need to know so to have a specialist like yourself help people in such a very stressful and emotional time navigate through these such murky waters is, is imperative. Um, can you give us some examples of some cases? You don't have to give names or whatever, but just sort of maybe a case where someone's come to you sort of maybe recognising that they're needing um, this advice just before it gets to that ter terrifying stage of it's now emergency. And then maybe someone has come to you possibly when it's halfway through process and maybe they should have seen you sooner yeah look we had a lovely lady come in not that long ago she was a carer for her husband she was 80 herself and it was getting to the stage where he would fall at home and she didn't have the strength anymore to be able to assist him so he would fall she would try to help he'd demand that she didn't call the ambulance because he was okay and he'd you know try and get up and go to bed so she ended up realising that she needed some respite herself and negotiated with him that he would be happy to go in for at least two weeks, which is the minimum of respite care. Um, they eventually said that it, it would be four weeks that he would go in for. And I love using the idea of respite as a try before you buy. So you can go into the facility for a minimum of two weeks, give the carers a break and work out do I like this place? You know, are, are the family visiting me? What's the care like? What are the other people like here? What are the staff like? And, you know, some people walk away and go, that was awful. I never want to go there again. 
and by the end of his um, time at respite, when she came to visit him one day, he said, I'm going to stay here, aren't I? So he'd come to the conclusion that it was probably best for both of them that he was in there. She was allowed to visit every day. They had like a um, spouse rates for a cheap counter lunch that was 5 or $10 that she could sit with him every day and, and have a nice meal. Um, it, she could still drive at this stage. So it was something that just worked out really beautifully for them. They didn't have a lot of money. She wanted to keep the home, wanted to make sure that she wasn't going to be kicked out of the family property and just to understand the cash flow that they needed and what she could use from her assets to, to help fund it versus pay every single day a higher amount. So she was a lovely lady to, to deal with. Um, she would come into the office very glamorous with her hair done and the, the dark smoky eye shadow and the big jewellery and the leopard print top. She was, she was just gorgeous. And, she, you know, she became quite a friend and would, would drop in for the cup of tea. She was, she was fantastic. Oh, um, had a family of, of four boys whose mum and dad were already in care when they approached me and said, what do we need to know? Like, they've just gone in. We found them a spot. Um, we met, we've got now, I think it was um, so many weeks where you then have to decide how we're going to pay for this. So whether you sell a family home, whether we had extra assets and what to do. So there was a strategy paper involved in, look, you know, if you sell the family home, it'll be this much. If you pay part of it, it'll be this much. You know, so if you just want to run it out of cash flow, it'll be this much. And it wasn't a situation where one of them was much more frail and likely to go than the other. He said, look, they're taking turns. You know, dad will have a turn and come good, then mum will have a turn and come good. So it wasn't a case where one would go sooner than the other, which sometimes is very easy to predict. And you might then choose, you know, to not pay a RAD for one of them, but do pay for the other. So theirs was a little bit more complicated. Um, we've also had a case where uh, my former colleague who was in the business with me um, happened at Rabina Hospital. A husband had gone in. She ended up rushing over to help. Um, English wasn't the first language of the couple and she was beside herself trying to work out everything from I don't know how to get in placement, uh, where do we go, what do I do? Um, and, you know, after they'd gone, where can we put him that's convenient? And thankfully the area I live in is, you know, probably 10 within spitting distance of where my office is. Um, after that, it was then right now, let's deal with the detail. The, the priority was let's get a placement. So it, it's very dependent on the situation of each family. Another one I went to visit, the lady was in hospital. She'd been told she wasn't going home and she was very distressed about that, that she wouldn't be going back to her home ever again. And the family were sitting there all trying to tell mum, you know, come on, it's going to be fine, it's going to be fine. And and it wasn't fine for mum. And she needed someone to just, you know, sit with her and hold her hand and say, it's all right to be sad about this, you know. It's so it, you sort of end up in a bit of a counselling role in some situations too and, and, of course, they were trying to jolly her along into making a decision because it had to be made. But she, I think she just also wanted someone to say, this isn't a situation, you know, you want to be in and we understand. We know decisions need to be made, but we also understand this is really hard. So, yeah, there, there's so much, like you said, it's an emotional time, it's a stressful time, and just being trying to navigate that with compassion is really important. Yeah, well, you just reminded me of when um, my grandmother went into care. She just recently passed. Um, 
she was 98. She had an amazing life. But I remember the day it was they brought her down from Central Coast to Sydney for Christmas Day and then she was going to go straight from Christmas Day into her aged care facility. So it, I, I remember looking at her and she was at the head of the table and she just sat there and just started to cry. And I just went, you know, it kind of dawned on her. This was her last Christmas Day with us in, in Sydney um, and that this was her transition from, you know, Central Coast she lived for the last 30 years to go to, um, you know, to an age which was down in Bega, which is six hours south from where she'd lived. The reason being is where my auntie was and she needed, you know, there was family close by and whatnot. Um, but it was, I remember that look on her face. I remember had it holding a hand and going, you know, I'm sorry. Like, I, I felt sad for her and I felt, you know, no, what am I sorry for? Well, sorry that you're sad. I'm sorry that you're going through this. There's nothing you can do or jolly them up at that point. I understand what you're saying because they are saying goodbye to a life that they've lived. It's a new life and it's scary. Yeah, and often there is the, the death of a partner involved as well and then that, you know, within a short amount of time they deteriorate and can no longer care for themselves. My um, husband's grandparents um, were Maltese who'd lived in Egypt for many years and, of course, came over in the 50s like so many immigrants did. My father was a 10-pound pom, um, came over post-war. And they, they were distant cousins, so they'd known each other since they were three or four. Uh, they got married late teens, early 20s. They'd never been apart from each other. And finally, in their 90s, you know, we got them into a, a facility in Sydney and um, Nunnal had cared for Nunna for, for quite some time, even probably past the time where he was capable of doing that. But he was so determined to look after her, even though he was a dreadful tease. And they ended up going into um, where they could get a, a dual room. And the facility was kind enough to actually put the two beds in the one room and make the other room a sitting room for them so that they could split the rooms because they still have to have both, obviously. Um, and when she finally passed, I remember getting the call from my husband and I was on my way back from the States. It was a Thursday. And I said, look, I'll be home tomorrow, you know, if there's anything you need to help out. You know, so I was home on the Friday and the Saturday night we were sitting up in bed and my father-in-law rang and said, Dad's just passed. Wow. He'd waited for her to go. And then Dad said, it's all right now, Dad, you know, Mum's safe. And it was just one of those heartbreaking <laughs> moments that, you know... <laughs> Um, but then there's the reality as well because the next minute the home's ringing going, right, you've got to come and clean this stuff out. We, we've got people lining up, you know. Well, that's so, what's happened. Mum's just got back yesterday. Which which is, you know, hideous and awful and, you know, you're trying to grieve and especially in this case deal with a double loss, double funeral and it's come and get the shit out of here. Mm. You know, we've got people, you know, waiting to get in. So, you know, and and they are busy facilities as well and people do have to die in some cases for other people to get a spot. Mm. So that's the harsh, awful business end of running an aged care yeah. facility. So you have then very little time also to deal with, we've got to pack up what's left of their life, work out what to do with that, arrange funeral arrangements. And, you know, so it's, it's very tough on everybody involved in family. It's, it's certainly not just a business transaction, which is why if you're going to be, you know, dealing with it, you want, you want people around you who 
are sensitive to, to what you're going through. It, it's not just, yeah. you know, sign here on the dotted line, pay for your paper and, and go off and deal with it. So, Well, there's yeah. so many levels of, I mean, just in listening to you, um, there's so many things that you've got to consider along the whole journey, not just to find the right place. I mean, let's go back to some of the few stories you just told me. The one thing that, is that you can get them in somewhere and then work out the plan you know, so that you can actually ease people out of that whole panic. I mean, there's still a time frame you've got to work within. So you've got, was it six weeks or something that you've got to work with? Usually it's about six weeks to give the facility the intention of what you're going to do. It's like, look, we've been to see someone, we think we're going to part pay the RAD, or look, let us sell the house, we'll pay it in full. But obviously you've got to pay the fees in the meantime. So there's a grace period where they understand, you know, we might have to, you know, give the house a lick of paint, um, cut it up a bit to get a better value that sort of thing so most facilities are aware of that um and that there is a time period that you know as long as you're paying your daily fees that they give you as a grace amount before you have to put in the the full amount and look you can change your mind along the way it is difficult when you're in sometimes to undo but there's situations where people have been so miserably unhappy where they were that they do want to go somewhere else so getting it right from the beginning can be difficult but you know don't think you're locked into misery either if mum and dad aren't coping and i think if anything the royal commission has shown us that you know some places have got it very 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 wrong and that you know stories of misconduct and the uh what what do they call it chemical restraint basically drugging patients um so that they don't have to deal with them you know all these dreadful things that have occurred you know obviously you don't want to come in and visit grandpa who you know is fine mentally and all of a sudden he's turned into a zombie who can't wipe his own bottom. You know, it's hideous to see. So, mm. you know, you, you're not going to leave someone in a situation who you love to just deteriorate like that when they're not being cared for properly. So undoing them can be painful, um, which is why I, I still love the idea of respite because you might be, um, you know, be able to see that this isn't quite where I've what where you want to be, be or where, where they want to be if they've still got their marbles so yeah it's it's pretty sad that we had to have a royal commission into the state of affairs in aged care as well when you'd think you know these vulnerable people who are you know pioneers of our nation who've been around for so long and you know flying the flag and doing amazing things for the country and their families for generations you know all of a sudden it's like well you know throw away the key the mine's gone we'll treat them like a child you know that they're elderly they're not stupid um no. and even with you know the dementia and looking at it from the other side you know when you do have people who have violent streaks of dementia and are very hard to control for the staff in the facilities how difficult is that for them you know to deal with and i my sister's mother-in-law worked in a dementia unit on the night shift for many 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 years and the stories you know she would tell were were horrific and funny and hilarious and awful and emotional and you know that they, they were getting care but you know they're, they're still people we we still have our foibles and our eccentricities and our urges for want of another word you know they don't go away <laughs> so you know we're, we're still dealing with people and it's really important to remember that and another thing that you know crops up with aged care advice that ties into my um former chat with you on financial abuse is you know advisors may be spotting then what i call inheritance impatience where 
Mm. You know, you've got the children visiting you going, you know, we want to sell dad's place. We want to flog this off and flog that off. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to get it anyway. So I might as well just take my part now. So understanding the ramifications of them uh, gifting themselves assets, you know, is really important because that can impact mum and dad's pension. They may not be able to fund the fees. Um, so spotting those cases early for advisors is really important as well. Yeah, yeah well, actually, when we were talking earlier about daily costs, um, you know, that in itself, where you've got to calculate what is needed on any of those levels to, you know, to live in a facility like that, you've got to know your numbers and actually be able to forecast that long term. You know, we don't know when someone's going to pass, you've got to assume that it's a long term period so that the numbers don't, they don't run out of money that they can afford. So yeah, by, by seeing, you know, understanding their assets, understanding their cash flow, be it, you know, age pension or account based pension um, or other asset, you know, income streams. Um, if family are trying to dabble, like get it, get their piece of their pie early, it is going to be problematic. So are you, as an advisor, do you sit down with the entire family and explain or get it, get a permission from the, you know, from those, you know, mum or dad or mum and dad um, about what information they need to know in terms of the financial um, management? Again, every case is so individual. Usually you're dealing with the power of attorney already. So okay. yeah. um, always getting a copy of the power of attorney up front to make sure. Um, also make sure it's been signed properly. Um, I have heard of cases where, you know, someone turned up with a power of attorney and the person had never signed it and they were acting on their behalf, closing bank accounts because no one checked that the person actually had never signed the document. The, the bank wasn't checking things like that? And these people had closed down accounts. And, oh, my God. Yeah, horrific story. So being very careful that you are dealing with the right person, that they do have the right documents. Um, and, again, that's hard because if the person's made a new one and you don't know about it, um, that can be difficult. Uh, look, involving the whole family where possible is great. Very problematic. Um, most families don't, you know, all live within the same street and, you know, have the same moment in time that they can all pop into your office, say good day, and, you know, we're all looking in mum and dad's best interest. I, I think the best case I had, mum and dad had four boys. Two of them were appointed as powers of attorney. One lived in Brisbane who I never met. All three other brothers showed up to other meetings to work out what, you know, was I doing the right thing by mum and dad as well as, you know, were they getting the right advice? So... That was gorgeous. Uh, but like I said, every, every family dynamic is very different. So where possible, yeah, of course, it's best to involve everyone. It also reduces cases of elder abuse when everyone's on the same page because it's much harder then for one sibling to try and, you know, do a swifting when all of them are involved. So, Do you come across a lot of that? Sadly, I have seen a couple of cases, yes. Um, and... Um, I know of one where the power of attorney was an adopted daughter. Um, the granddaughter knew there was wrongdoing in this case and she asked the adopted daughter's two siblings, said, look, you know, she's doing the wrong thing by Park. Can we, you know, please all get together with her, do a bit of an intervention. He's not being cared for. She's taking all his money. And they just went, oh, look, it's none of our business. She's always been like that. So the granddaughter ended up having to sue the power of attorney um, and take over guardianship of her grandfather. And by that stage, she'd done him for nearly $4 million. Oh, my gosh. Wow. It was one of the very first cases where a power of attorney was sued in Australia for abusing their rights as power of attorney. So, 
interesting case. <laughs> wow. But again, by then it's too late. There's nothing left for the family. He passed with forty thousand dollars in his in his account under that actually. Wow. So I mean, look, I'm always and I know you would be saying make sure that you know your estate plan is up to date you've got the right people involved in you know um i always suggest that although you've got a power of attorney to, to have someone like a legal representative oversee all of this so that they appoint maybe someone external as well um so you know getting advice in all areas of course aged care is imperative um estate planning is imperative the whole big picture um is needed but going back to i mean the, the, there is obviously a massive merge with your you know with aged care advice and estate planning advice because you're probably dealing with that sort of the end part of life and then when they've actually passed are you dealing with the aged care facility at that point and assisting the family and you know and and so on i've only done that within my own family I haven't mm -hmm. had to do that for a client as yet. Um, it's interesting to note the stats actually show that most people when they go into facility last just less than three years is the average for people going in. Obviously, there's some who once they're in, they cock up their toes, go, that's it, I don't want to be here um, within days. And others, you know, can last eight to ten years very comfortably in a facility. But But the general rule of thumb is that up to three years is the average for an aged care facility. So depending on who you're dealing with, um, I do sometimes let the people know that. And that of course it is just an average, obviously statistically it's, you know, just a number. And, you know, there's always massive exceptions either side to get that number. So yeah, look, a spouse probably doesn't want to hear that. Whereas, you know, some children who need to make other arrangements may need to know, you know, what sort of, what are we looking at here? And you know, again, it's very dependent on, you know, you might need to get a second opinion of your doctor or your gerontologist or, you know, understanding, you know, their situation is really important to just going, oh, look, they'll probably drop off in three years anyway. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but wow, again, they're people. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, and, yeah, usually if they're, they're very involved in, in their parents' care, they will be the one visiting the doctor and that sort of thing. So it's it's sometimes important to understand what, what they're looking at, at with end-of-life planning. It is it is an area that requires a lot of compassion and insight. Mm. Uh, I don't, yeah, it, it does. Look, I, as I said, I literally just lost my grandmother. So I keep going back to our experience, what my mother and my auntie's been just going through. And they were the, they were the daughters that, you know, would be there all the time speaking to the doctors. And, you know, any time there was an, a medical issue, mum would try and get down the coast as fast as possible and Auntie Chris would be there. And, you know, we would all be notified as a family Brace yourselves, it could happen, you know. And I, I sort of, this is funny because you kind of think, oh, okay. And then when it does happen, you, you're thinking, oh, well, it didn't happen last time, it didn't happen time before. Uh, she's going to hang in there, it's all good. A whole boot. Yeah, she is. <laughs> I don't make them like that anymore. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, then I'm always says she's deteriorating, you know. We think this might be it. And then they rally. They come good. <laughs> yeah, she always, she, she always proved everybody wrong. Um, except just recently she, she she passed on but you know they were they were um having to do exactly what you said immediately cleaning out the room immediately looking at um you know what 
what they needed to keep, what she wanted us to keep, what needed to go to Goodwill, um, and a lot of that area down there being affected by fires. So all of that was considered, and she she actually written everything out, which wished you know in her own idea. Yeah, there's a lot of drama. I think my great grandmother had wore the same ring to three different women by the time she passed away. So, like, who got that ruby? <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking about her art books and um, she collected all these beautiful elephants. Um, so my sister and I have spoken about that, but she had decided everything and written everything down, which is really sweet. Um, but I've lost, I lost my train of thought where I was going. But I guess, you know, at the end of the day, you're dealing not only with the, the people that are in aged care, but you're dealing with usually the one or two appointed care or the, you know, power of attorney. And you mentioned, so that's usually the older daughter. Quite often, yes. And look, there's there's times in aged care where you never meet the client. So those four boys that came in with their parents already in care, I never, never, ever met Mrs. Mum and Dad, ever. They're always my client as far as, you know, the children go. I, I only ever met the boys. Right. So I'm acting in the best interests of people I've never met through their powers of attorney. And that can happen quite often in aged care. Yeah. We'll never meet the actual clients. One question I was going to ask you a, a while ago, and you sort of go, there's so many things that I, I want to ask, um, is do you get referred clients through aged care facilities as well that, um, while they're already just in there? Or you, how are people finding you? How are you getting these kind of cases that come into across your desk? Yeah, look, aged care steps do have a register of people who not only done their course, but then meet a higher level of, um, I suppose, duty of care and education. So because I have a master's degree as well as my aged care accreditation and um, so many years experience, uh, nearly 20 years as an advisor, you know, those people, they do put on a separate register that they can then share with facilities like Bupa. So if someone's looking at a Bupa facility, they may say, look, this is our list of people in the area. Here's the accredited specialists. You, you can go and find them. So that, that is an option. Uh, word of mouth is obviously the, the biggest, you know, that people do. I'm, I'm often also uh, really active on social media. So also understanding that my target market isn't people over 80. It's the baby boomers. It's, you know, mums and dads, 50, 60 plus, even, you know, my generation, Gen X, depending on how young or old your parents were when they had you. You know, this is why they call us the sandwich generation. We're minding our children and our elderly parents. Yes. My, my grandmother is, is still alive and, and living with my mother. So it just depends on the ages of what you're dealing with. So the people who will be giving me the leads aren't the elderly. No. The people who's parents and grandparents need care. Yeah. So yeah. they're technically the ones who we're marketing to. And sometimes, you know, just putting out the regular articles, education, um, blog posts. Uh, I even have a Twitter account for my aged care business. So depending on what platform people prefer, if they're seeing, you know, the regular information coming through, they may never need it or they may know someone who needs it or one day they might. So to me, it's, it's a long-term strategy. It's certainly not something that, look, every time I do a tweet or a post, I expect someone to ring me up and say, we need aged care advice. It just doesn't work that way. I also um, sponsor a local community Christian radio channel. So um, K103 
couple of times a week, you know, the news is brought to them by Trusted Aged Care. And a few times a year, they'll get me in to have a chat about various subjects. I think last Christmas we spoke about granny dumping, which is an awful phenomenon that um, occurs especially heavily around holiday periods where carers may get so overwhelmed they can't cope anymore, they need a break themselves, and they'll dump their elderly relatives who they care for uh, anywhere from train stations to hospitals. Sometimes permanently, sometimes just because they need a rest. Uh, look, sometimes it's done out of absolutely selfish, horrific motives, and other times it's burnout and overwhelm and stress and anxiety and so many other reasons. There was a case, one of the worst cases globally was where um, a gentleman in the USA took his father to the UK, um, had a friend help him, put him in brand new clothes, took all his ID and left him at a bus stop with dementia. And he... Um, basically, so some passes by and said, "Look, I don't know who this man is. Um, I think we need to get him. He's very confused. He's got an American accent. We need to get him to hospital." And eventually, realised he was in on the the scam for no particular reason, and he was just a friend of the son. And it was prosecuted um, under these granny dumping. It was an elder abuse situation, obviously, where you know they just went, "Oh well, it's too expensive in America to care for them anymore. We'll just drop him off." So. <laughs> Um, yeah, it was, it was unbelievable. Cool. Yeah, so it, it even happens in Australia. It's not just, you know, America, UK, it's it's here as well. So there's just some awful people on this earth and there's some really beautiful, wonderful, amazing, caring, wonderful, gorgeous people on the planet too. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's just being aware of what, what people's situations are and being a little bit mm. more tuned into what can occur, I think, because, you know, I suppose people like you and I, it would never cross our mind in a million years to go, hey, Grandma, I'm just <laughs> going to drop you off and never come back. Like It's just so beyond anything that we comprehend to think yeah. that people could do it. So, yeah, it's, it's eye-opening, the stuff that does sadly happen. Wow. That's insane. I, um, I'm a bit lost at that one. Um, I'm just going to quickly look at some questions because there are a few questions here that were... Um, I'm going to go back to some daily fee questions. I'm going to some, and also some, um, and the extra service agreement cover. So we talked about that before the extra We service. did a little bit, yeah. The extra service agreement was the one where, you know, do you want the nicer cut of meat and the bottle of wine? Ah, right, yes, we did product. do that. So that can be the one that's $20 a day up. Um, the daily fees, I, th I think we covered there's up to four levels of fees. You may only have mm -hmm. one. It may just be that 85% of your pension around the $51 a day and that's all you ever need to pay. Whereas other people may also have the means-tested fee, um, the MPIR, which is that insure interest rate where if you can't yeah, pay the deposit, and yeah. then of course the extra services on top. So it just depends on your current means, your ability to pay. So yeah, it's that's where it's good to get the advice instead of going, oh, I just thought it was the part of the pension and that's it. Going, yeah, maybe not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And also the aged care facilities have different rules to Centrelink. Uh, that's what I also want to ask you about. Can you give us uh, some examples of this difference? Yeah, well, Centrelink won't um, view the principal residence um, as an asset and depending on whether there's a protected person in there or not, the aged care facility may well view that as an asset depending on the time frame. So knowing the differences in those sort of situations of whether it's going to be counted as an asset or not. You just said the time frame there, so can you explain that as well? 
yeah, depending on the protected person, if they've been a carer for two years uh, minimum or a spouse and staying in the home, um, mm-hmm. if they've decided to leave the home because they're no longer caring, there's a time where they may or may not count that afterwards, depending on whether you're going to sell it or keep it so mm-hmm. or rent it out. So you need to figure out pretty quickly what you want to do with the home, whether the carer is going to maybe move back to their own family, stay in the property. Um, so you, you need to figure out, I suppose, your own personal situation or come to an advisor. I did have one where the woman had moved in with her dad. She'd been there for three years. The minute he was put in a facility, she obviously wanted to go home to her husband and son. She'd kind of been living with dad and commuting whenever she could get a break to go home. So she decided, you know, the minute dad went in the home, she just wanted to be home. So there was no longer a protected person in the home. She was eligible to still continue to receive the carer payment for up to 13 weeks after he had been admitted, which gave her a little bit of transition time as well to see if she wanted to go back to work or make sure he was fully settled, um, do what she had to do with the house, uh, work out whether she was going to get some tradespeople in to do it up or just sell it or rent it. Yeah, understanding all those different timeframes is important too. And as an advisor, you give her guidance or or give around what, that would look like financially for for him, for her, for the family, basically. Absolutely. And look, most people, their first protocol isn't an aged care advisor. It's Centrelink. So often people will come to you going, look, I've spoken with Centrelink and they've given me this. And it could be, this is what your means tested fees will be, or this is how long you can keep your care payment for. So it seems to be that most people, the first place they go is Centrelink to go, what do we need to know? So often they come in a little bit forearmed, a little bit savvy about the Centrelink arrangements. Um, and Centrelink also refer many people to the My Aged Care website and look for all its faults and its difficulties. The basic information on there is, is accessible. Um, it can be difficult to find what you're after. <laughs> but look, as, as just a, a general resource, it's, you know, it's there for that reason. It's been put out by the government so that people can understand and navigate the aged care space a little bit better. Yeah, and there's a lot to navigate. Um, and find, another question I was going to ask you earlier, and, and then we get sidetracked because there's so, many, so much information and great information you're giving us, which is excellent, and thank you. Is when um, someone does come to you and it is that moment of emergency, you know, mum's had a fall, dad's had a fall and uh, we need to find something, we've got to make some big decisions um, and say they are already in hospital and they're needing to, they can't go home. Do you have a list of um, aged care facilities that you know of that you can sort of, sort of have a look at these? Do you know or do you sort of let uh, assist them once they've found somewhere? Um, it's a combination of both, depending on what the client wants. If they want help with liaison, yes, I will go out and liaise with facilities in the area. I have done tours of certain facilities so that I know what they look like. I know where I'm booking myself into already. <laughs> it's a great little Tuscan place up the road. I've got my eye on. <laughs> and like I said, look, they're popping up everywhere in Rabina. Um, other um, air groups like Trilogy who have... Um, Many facilities in the southeast Queensland, you know, the the Eastern Corridor, have reached out to me and said, look, we'd love to have you on the list, you know. So if you've got someone you need to place, they can go, look, we've got a bed in these so many facilities and make it easier to find. When you've got the relationships, you can also sometimes negotiate on the RAD for clients. So having those personal relationships is is really important. Um, There's also, I I believe, 
there that if you want to pay a fee for um, a facility where people go, right, I, I need a facility that's kind to LGB clients. I want to be in so far close to a shopping centre so my daughter can pick me up and take me to my local Westfield. You know, I, I still want to be able to, you know, play bingo or whatever it is that your deal is. They can put all those requirements into a, um, a database and spit out, look, here's the, here's the 10 facilities that would best suit your needs. Not everybody's quite that, that high care. Um, and look, some feel, especially in the minority communities, if, you know, English is a second language, they might want to go somewhere where the people in the facility are of their ethnic background um, or can be cared for by people who speak their, their language. So some facilities um, increasingly cater for the LGBTIQ community and others feel quite marginalised in some facilities. So there's there's so many nuances and <laughs> different you know things that that people want to be taken care of you know some want to go back to where they grew up it's what they knew others want to be closer to family who've moved away and they've never been in that area before but you know daughter's moved to Tassie I want to be close to her so it it just depends very much on on the needs of each family Mm, wow so yeah again this there is so much extra there's many 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 layers to this um to this type of advice I think anyone who's listening haven't really even considered more so than just to do with what's going to happen to the house and how can we afford aged care. There's so many other things that you've got to consider along the way. Um, and then obviously finding the right advice, advisor who's going to give you the advice um, with compassion and care like yourself that actually has a really good um, thorough understanding, which again is why I say, you know what, I'm, this isn't my area of expertise. I would like to send you to so-and-so because at the end of the day, this is such an area of expertise um, and I commend you for actually taking on, I think it's a fantastic area of advice and it's going to be far, it is much needed and it's, it's only increasingly needed um, as we face an ageing population. Um, and now that we've had the Royal Commission, and you know, obviously there's going to be reform around aged care um, you know, for, for the positive, positive changes. Um, it probably will keep you very busy, Amanda. It probably will. <laughs> yes. It, it's, it, um, yeah, so anyway, I want to thank you so much for your time today and for sharing all of this information. Um, we will put your details in on the Sensibility website and um, in. I think we could even do it in the link tree. I get Bella to do all of that stuff. So I'm, a bit, I'm a bit slack with our social media of late, but... Um, we're getting there. Um, so if you do have any questions and you listen to this and uh, you can reach out to me or even Amanda will put Amanda's um, website details on the website, on our Sensibility website. Amanda, just share where, what's your actual uh, website address? Sure, it's trustedagedcareservices.com.au. So on there I've got a few case studies. I've got a jargon buster um, that you can download. The It's two full pages of jargon. Um, that you might need to uh, navigate through. Uh, we've got a couple of videos just explaining basic services, what are your income options in retirement. There, there's a blog and a few testimonials on there. So it's quite comprehensive if, if you want to have a look. We're also all on the socials. We do have a Facebook page, Twitter and Instagram page as well. So if you just look Trusted Aged Care, you'll find us. Excellent. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, and if there's an extra interest, so we probably could do something like a webinar or 
So I'll be seeing you again soon to talk with uh, the Inspire Committee. Excellent. Thank uh, you. On um, uh, financial abuse. So <laughs> stick with me soon. Looking forward to it. We should uh, get Michelle on as well. We should. Actually, I've got a meeting with the Inspire Committee. I should be talking about this afterwards. But thank you very much for joining me today. Not a worry. Thanks, Amy. Okay. Thank you.